thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Amen, amen. Hey, let's thank our team for leading us out this morning. Kyle, guys, thank you so much. Pastor Zach is in North Carolina. You can be seated with his family. And uh, man, I always tell Zach, you can go. But make sure Kyle's here. So make sure Kyle can fill in, and, and they do such a great job. And I lost a bet today. I thought maybe four of you would show up, and there's at least eight. So thank you so much uh, for being here in person. Merry Christmas to you. And how about exchanging inches of snow last year for motorcycle riding weather this year? I mean, how many of you guys are happy about that? What is wrong with you people? I tell, how do you not want snow on Christmas and all that good stuff. I was uh, sitting near my daughter over here, and uh, the Connect kids downstairs are doing their pancakes and pajama day. I am so sorry you're up here. Um, they are having all the fun. You know, we, we go back and forth on whether we should do that as a church, and then you walk through Walmart at 11 o'clock at night, and you're like, it's not a good idea to do adult pajamas. Anyway, so grateful that you guys are here today, praying that you had a wonderful and a Merry Christmas with you, with your family and your friends, and uh, just so glad you'd come this on the Sunday after Christmas. I love what Charles Dickens wrote. He says, for it is be, it's good to be children sometimes, and never better than at Christmas, when its mighty founder was a child himself. Isn't that good? A child himself. The joy that we get to, to celebrate that Christ, that God clothed himself in flesh, made his dwelling among us, and that we get to celebrate the birth of Christ. I want to read from you something I adapted from Charles Swindoll. A little bit of commentary he had on Christmas that was really good. He said this, in the year 1809, the international scene was tumultuous. Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. Blood was flooding the streets. Nobody then cared about any babies that were born. But the world was overlooking some significant births in 1809. For instance, William Gladstone was born that year. He was destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. The same year, Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife. The child would one day greatly affect the literary world in a marked way. On the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And not too far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, albeit tragic, life. It is also in the same year that a physician by the name of Darwin and his wife named their child Charles Robert Darwin. And in that same year, uh, that very same year produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged community, a log cabin in the county of Hardin, Kentucky. And that baby's name was Abraham Lincoln. If there had been broadcast available at that time in 1809, I'm certain the words would have been heard this, the destiny of the world is being shaped on the Austrian battlefield today. But history was actually being shaped in the cradles of both England and America. Similarly, everyone thought, in Luke chapter 1 and 2, everyone thought that taxation was the big news of the day when Jesus was born. But a young Jewish woman cradled the biggest news of all, the birth of our Savior. 
but she did not share in her joy alone. Alongside of Joseph, God would dispatch an unlikely band of men to come and see and to come and worship. This Christmas season, we've had a series entitled, A Weary World Rejoices. And we began looking at how it is that in Christ we can move from weary to the wonder of His love. That in Christ we can move from weary to rejoicing in this season, not of just joy, but a season of great joy. We looked last week into the life of Mary. And we watched how even this, Christian, this Christmas narrative moved a young teenage girl from weary to worship. And this morning, we continue in that very same vein as we close out our series, A Weary World Rejoices. I want to track the same as we did last Sunday. Mary showed us that the, the greatest weapon against weariness is our worship. And she worshiped God through obedience. Obedience to His, to his word and obedience to his will for her life. And what we find also today in Luke chapter 2 is we find the worship of a few men about their mundane day, mired in the weariness of a first century dirty job. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 2 together. Luke chapter 2, by the way, Do you know how long I've been waiting to put this up there? <laughs> uh, for months now. 364 days. Listen to the scripture here. In Luke chapter 2, verse 6. While they were there, meaning Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were, and this is where we camp today, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, it's one thing for you and I to read this passage today so far removed from this first Christmas morning. It's another thing that if you and I are in the first century, for us to begin reading this, and all of a sudden we hear there's shepherds nearby. And if we're in the first century, you know what we start doing? We start rolling our eyes. Oh, you're kidding me. Man, they just mess up. The whole story. You begin to roll your eyes at even the mentioning of, of shepherds. Why, why would anybody bring up shepherds in the account of such a significant event like this? You might even begin to think in your mind if you're reading this in the first century, I hope Mary and Joseph tied that donkey up pretty well. If not, them shepherds steal it probably. Why? Why even bring up shepherds? You see, by the time of the New Testament, shepherds were at the bottom of the social ladder. They, they were uneducated, unskilled, they were unwanted, they were untrustworthy, unreliable, and definitely they were undesirable. You see, back in the Old Testament, being a shepherd was a respectable family tradition, as we see even in the life of, of King David. Oh, but how things have changed by the time of the New Testament, where being a shepherd was considered detestable, contestable, reprehensible of an occupation. Due to the nature of their job, they worked seven days a week. In fact, shepherds were unable to follow the man-made traditions and restrictions of the Sabbath. And so you know what? 
by their very occupation. They were unclean, considered ungodly, unholy, and unable to be close to God. Hey, talk about, talk about weariness. One scholar noted that according to the Mishnah, the Jewish writing, shepherds were under a ban. They were regarded as thieves. The only people lower than shepherds at that particular time in Jewish history were lepers. And nobody wanted anything to do with lepers of that day. Shepherds, one would think, surely being brought up in a story, in a, in a narrative, in an account like this, surely they're the antagonists. Surely they serve as the enemies of what God is trying to accomplish here in Luke chapter 2. Surely they're the ones who would take what is a beautiful moment and ruin it, wouldn't they? With resumes like that, with rumors like that about shepherds, is there any question as to why out of this Christmas account, some of the most weary people there that day bore the title of a shepherd. But all the plot, well, it thickens. Watch this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. Now listen, if we're reading this again, back in the first century where this was written, you know what we're thinking? Oh, here it is. God's fixing to smite those shepherds. He's fixing to do it. God is fixing to, to absolutely wipe them out, to pave a way for his son to be born. But you know what, church? Something very different happens. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now listen, as if this is not news enough, suddenly a great company, the heavenly host, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Imagine being a shepherd, knowing what everyone thinks of you, knowing that closeness to God is is too far off to even imagine. And yet all of a sudden, there's this incredible spectacle in front of you. Can you imagine that they just kind of have to get their, pull themselves together after what they've seen? Man, how are they going to digest all that has taken, all that's taken place? But I want us just for a moment, church, to consider the messaging of the angels heard by weary shepherds that day. First of all, they said this, do not fear. I'm going to tell you something. If you have a soul that is weary, something you need to hear is do not fear. That's what they heard that day. Do not fear. They heard this second of all, good news. Third of all, of great joy. Your Savior is born fourth of all. And fifth, there is peace on earth on whom his favor rests. Hey, what wonderful news to share with a weary world. What wonderful news to be heard from weary shepherds. Hey, what wonderful news for the weary soul here today. 
But I want you to notice something about this messaging. I want you to see the target of the angel's messaging. In verse 10, watch this. The Bible says, all the people. Not, not just some, but for all the people. Wait, wait a second. You're telling me this good news is even for outcasts and the outliers? No, no. I'm telling you this news is especially for outcasts and outliers. Why? Because that's who's hearing it. That is the life of the shepherd. I want you to think of it. This angel dispatched by God bypassed the palace of Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man on the planet, seated in the most powerful kingdom in the world. The angel also didn't stop in the religious center of the world in Jerusalem either that day. The angel didn't stop by one of King Herod's villas in Bethlehem. Rather, we watch an angel take off towards the fields of Bethlehem to shepherds who are working those fields. Now, I want you to note this. In most of our, in most of our Christmas productions and, and all that we do with Christmas, we put those wise men and their gifts right there at the manger scene. Well, biblically, that event takes place a little further down the road, right? Jesus is a little bit older. The scene looks a whole lot different. The wise men and their gift don't come until a little bit further down the road in Jesus' life. And yet we find here in this Christmas story that God sends invitations out through angels. He, he sends this invitation out to shepherds who have absolutely nothing to bring to Jesus' party. They have nothing to give him at his birthday party, and yet this is who the invitation goes to. But you see, they had nothing to give him but themselves. And that's exactly what they give to Jesus that day. They give, they give themselves. They didn't have the presence of the wise men, although the drummer boys made up. I'm not sure any of them played instruments. Wasn't a whole lot they had to offer that day. But themselves. You see, they were given an invitation to be the first people on earth to worship this newborn king. I love this as Paul would write to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.26. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. I think that's a pretty nice way of saying there. You could be a little stupid, right? Uh, you weren't wise by human standards. Not many were influential, popular, not many were of noble birth. But watch this in verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And I love what we're reminded in verse 28, that God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. You ready? Just like shepherds. Maybe even closer to home. Just like you and me. Just like us. You know, I, I look at this Christmas scene, and I'm grateful because you know what I'm convinced? That if God can use a shepherd, then you know what? He can use me. 
and he can use you. I, I got to thinking, especially a couple of years ago before Israel shut down because of COVID, I got to be there in the last few months while they were open. And, and I stood in Bethlehem. I, I stood at the traditional site where Jesus was born in the manger. I, I, I stood in the fields where the shepherds would have been watching over their sheep. And I remember while there in Israel, I thought of this question, what part would I play in the Christmas story? Like, where would I be? Here's the problem. I would make a really ugly Mary, right? So she's out of the question I wasn't a Mary. Joseph. Gosh, I don't know if I'd be as strong as that guy. Probably not a Joseph in the story. But then I look out in the fields, and I see some outcasts and outliers. I see some guys who don't have a whole lot to bring to the table. Nothing really to give to this newborn king to speak of and I think that's where I find myself I think to be honest a lot of us would find ourselves out in the field that day and yet God would come to the shepherds in fact here's how the rest of the story you've probably read this around your Christmas tree we read this on Christmas Eve and Luke 2 1 when the angels had left them and gone into heaven the shepherds said to one another we got to go to Bethlehem. We need to see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, watch this, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But watch this, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, just like a mama does. The shepherds returned, I love this, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they were just as they had been told. Here we see a worship service sparked by the birth of a savior of the world. And interesting to note again, we have shepherds showing up on the scene with nothing to give but themselves and I want you to hear me. That's all that Jesus wants. Even to this day you and I, to be on, and you know you better than I know you. And I know me better than you know me. I don't bring a whole lot to the table in this relationship with the Lord. I just don't bring a whole lot. And yet he brings, he brings everything to the table in this relationship that I have with him. And, and, and honestly, all he asks of me is to bring to him and give him my life. That all I have, I just give to him. And by his work of grace and his great act of love, he can do far more with my life than I can do. And you know what? Isn't that the testimony of the shepherds? Hey, let me tell you how big of a deal that is. We're still talking about him today. We're still reading her story. We're still talking about some shepherds who would come and see. And we watch this yet again, even with the shepherds, as we saw even in the life of Mary. We see worship through obedience to the words and the will of God through the angel. When the angel, watch this, when the angel told them, if I could paraphrase, come and see, guess what they did? They went and saw. They were obedient to the word and the will of God 
for their life that day. Verse 17, I love this. You know what they did? They couldn't shut up. They couldn't stop talking about it. The Bible says that they, they spread the word. The worship of the shepherds that day teaches us that coming and seeing and going and telling are an important and vital part of worship. And by the way, the only type of worship that can make a weary world rejoice. The type of worship that comes and sees the king by faith. And on the flip side, goes and tells others about the king. You see, many of us have come and seen Christ by faith. But the question then becomes, how many of us really go and tell? Go and tell messages like, world, do not be afraid. There's good news. Great joy. We have a Savior. I know his name. And guess what? Even in a world at war, even a world that is weary, peace can be found in this Savior. Because if you got Jesus, you got his favor, and it rests in your life. How much going and telling are really, really, are really a part of our lives? You see, the mission was clear from day one. The invitation is open to all the people to come and see Christ by faith. And for those who come and see, it is incumbent on us to go and tell. Why? Because we live in a weary world that needs Jesus to rejoice. To rejoice in. You know, I think of Luke's account here on Christmas. And the question comes, of all people, why the shepherds? I can imagine reading this in the first and second century, hot off the press. Why the shepherds? Of all people, why the shepherds? Because we realize this good news, this Savior, Jesus was for all people, for every outcast, every outlier, yes, even shepherds, by his grace and his love. I, I don't know if you've ever been to a point where you ever felt like an outcast. Maybe an outlier, someone who's sitting on the sidelines. Convinced maybe because of your past, maybe just because of your gifting, maybe just because of the way God created you. Man, God could never use me. That good news is for you. The weariness that you have known turns to worship when we come and see Christ. We give him all that we have, which is our, our very lives. And we begin to go and tell the greatest news of all. You know what I love about Jesus? That as he grew, ultimately, he would redeem the image of the shepherd in the New Testament. In John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. Jesus redeems this role of the shepherd so much that shepherd imagery has become a beloved image of Christ. And across all Christianity, Jesus can redeem a shepherd, can redeem his image and his reputation. How much more can he redeem you and me? 
I read from a pastor who told the story once that in 1972, a shepherd had brought his sheep into a walled-off enclosed area for the night. And just as the shepherd had gone to sleep near his sheep, he heard some commotion going on. He quickly rushed over to where the sound was coming from, and to his horror, he discovered that a wolf was in the process of dragging off one of his sheep through a hole in the wall. This wolf was mauling the sheep, killing the sheep, and blood was everywhere. So being the good shepherd he was, he quickly began beating that wolf with his staff, began hitting him over the head. And in short time, the wolf turned his attention off of that sheep and onto the shepherd and began to attack him. Now listen, he bit the shepherd while the shepherd was beating on his head to stop the attack of the wolf with his staff. He kept beating on him as the, as the wolf gave blow after blow, wound after wound to the shepherd. But with one final blow, finally the shepherd had killed the wolf. And right after he had killed the wolf, he collapsed in what was a bloody mess. The shepherd then managed to crawl over to the half-dead sheep. And here's what the shepherd did, the story goes. He began to bandage the wounds of the sheep. He gave it some water, and then he took the sheep in his own bloody arms. And the shepherd and the sheep went to sleep together that night. The next morning, the shepherd was found dead. With his body literally draped over the sheep to comfort it and to keep it warm. The headline the following day in the Jerusalem paper, Sheep Alive, Covered in Shepherd's Blood. You see, the Christmas story reminds us the part of the greatest story, that Jesus, our Good Shepherd, took on the attack of the enemy bore the wounds of our sin and our shame, was bloodied, bleeding, and dying so that He could protect us from dying forever. His death for our life. We're alive, covered in our good shepherd's blood. As Ephesians 2, 1 would remind us, as for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. But in verse 4 and 5, but we have been, because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. And so as Jesus redeems the image of the shepherd, he does so by becoming our good shepherd. The one who laid down his life for us, his sheep who covered us in his blood. So those of us who are dead in our sins and trespasses can be made alive in him. And so as we come and see this good shepherd this morning, I don't know how much you have to bring to the table. I don't have a whole lot. But you see, Jesus brought everything to the table. And you know what he simply asks of me? As I come and see, to give him all I have, to give him my life, 
to give myself just as Mary did. Hey, just as some old shepherds did that night in Bethlehem. And as I come and see, to realize that it is my job to go and tell, to tell everyone of this good shepherd who laid down his life. For Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.